Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rocket Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. We're moving on from Kentucky. We're heading into Florida. It's another game week ahead of us. We are, see here, it is a Tuesday. It's a Tuesday night when we're recording. We got some things to go over. Got some news to drop. Let's get the crap out early. Let me get the crap out of the way early. Um, Monday, yesterday, or Monday, uh, Maurice Massey, the receiver, wide receiver from Missouri, who opted out earlier this season, was arrested in Columbia uh, on suspicion of third-degree domestic assault, fourth-degree assault, and first-degree property damage. What does all it all mean? Well, domestic assault in the fourth degrees is, let me pull up my law thing here, is defined as trying to cause or recklessly causing physical injury to a domestic victim. That is a felony. Uh, domestic assault in the third degree is only a misdemeanor only. That's if a person commits the offense of domestic assault in the third degree if he or she attempts to cause physical injury or knowingly causes physical pain or illness to a domestic victim. And then the property damage one is if a person commits the crime of property damage uh, that exceeds $750 total. That is also a felony. So two felonies and a misdemeanor. Um, not the kind of stats you want for a receiver. Um, but um, pretty quickly after, uh, Drinkwitz went ahead and decided to part ways with the guy, which is an easy decision. Uh, he was opted out already, so he was probably not coming back. And then he does and commits something very stupid. So, I mean, really, is there anything else to say about it, BK? I mean... If you want to kind of expand the conversation, I, I think there's a little bit to expand it into in that um, now it, you kind of look at the wide receiver position, and as we were kind of talking about a little bit before we came on air, it's starting to get a little bit thin moving forward. Yeah. I mean, after the season, it's very possible, potentially even likely, you're going to lose Michael Wilson, Kiki Chisholm, and Damon Hazleton. We'll see on Hazleton. I know he's... I think technically a junior and obviously everybody's classifications are all screwed up because of this funky year. Um, but if you wanted to go, he probably could. So the guys you would be left with at that point for next season, you've got Bannister, Jacinto, Smith, and Knox in your junior class. It's just Towski Dove and Musser, 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 Musser? Yeah. Cade Musser as the walk-on who's now basically their punt returner, which is interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, they're the only sophomores left on the table. And then you've got Hester, Abrams, Drain, Looper, Macklin, Nash. Those are the only ones that are left from the freshman class. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to get pretty thin, and they do not have any wide receivers currently committed to next year's class. It's probably a position that if they don't go heavy on in this upcoming class, in the class of 21 – I would think they're going to go really heavy on that in the class of 22. I, I would think the way that they attacked defensive line in this one, that's the way they're going to attack wide receiver in the next class if they're not able to get quite a few down the stretch here. Yeah, uh, Hazleton is a redshirt senior this year. But like you said, it doesn't matter. Everybody yeah. can come back after this year, but he certainly has the opportunity to leave, same as Kiki Chisholm. Um yeah, you know, we we came in uh, to 2020 with wide receiver being a position of depth. Not strength, just depth. We had 12 guys. Uh, now we're down to 10, and we could possibly lose three. I don't know if Jalen Knox has any desire to jump early. I don't know if anyone would take him, but he's always, you know, he's going to be the most likely risk from that group. And like you said, uh, no commitments 
in so far from the uh, 2021 uh, high school class. Um, so 10 guys this year, possibly seven next year. I know that the staff is doing a hard reset on their recruiting. I'm going to have a piece on this next week during the bye. Um, but I kind of have to feel like I, I agree they're definitely going to be targeting it in the 2022 class, um, of which there is Luther Burden, who's no longer on the table, but they're still going to chase after him. Kevin Coleman, I think, can play a little bit of receiver. Uh, these are Missouri guys. Um, and then Jamarian Wayne, who I know uh, the Tigers are pretty high on out of Parkway West. Outside of that, you have your your initial offers, but um, they need to go heavy in 2022. But really, I think it might be another year where you take on a grad transfer or a JUCO or something like that for the receiving class. Yeah, and I've got, I've got no issues with that. Um, if you can find some that can come in and contribute next year, that's that's perfectly fine. And they've got a couple of guys that you feel pretty good about. Like, we'll get into this a little later more, but Towski Dove can start at wide receiver for this posi- for this team next year, and I wouldn't be all that worried about it. Like, he's fine. Yeah. He's, he's not going to be a playmaker necessarily. He's not a strength at receiver for you. But he's good enough that if he's a starting wide receiver, you're fine. Um, we know that you're okay with having Knox out there. I think a guy like Deontay Smith, Boo Smith, can take a pretty decent number of snaps. I mean, he did it against LSU and was perfectly capable. You'd like to develop a little bit more of a depth there, like J.J. Hester. If that guy can become something that maybe next year he's taking the types of snaps that this year early in the season you were seeing from Dove or Jacinto, something like that, Maybe that helps you out a little bit with building up that depth. The problem is, if one of those guys were to get hurt, now you're in a position where you're like, ooh, I don't love where I'm at at the position right now. So they need to add a little bit of depth, and that's where one of those, whether it be transfers or grad transfer, I don't know how they're exactly going to do the wide receiver, or excuse me, the, the transfers as a whole for college football in this upcoming year. I know there's been a lot of talk about that one time um, penalty-free transfer mm-hmm. possibility. Yeah. I, I don't know where we are on that at this point. There's There's been a lot of <laughs> kind of going all over the place with that, but that might be a possibility as well. So I, I think that they're going to be okay, and losing a guy like this at the position, it, it, this is not going to be the thing that ultimately sets them back. It's just all of it happening yeah. is what's kind of hurting them right now. Yeah. So – I saw the the press conference earlier today. Uh, he mentioned that Missouri's at 64 scholarship players right now, which is uh, two less two less than where they were at uh, against Kentucky. So they're not freaking out. But yeah, it's just losing depth hurts, especially when you're uh, when you're Missouri and you kind of field a lot of guys to to try and figure out who you, who you got and who can make an impact. Um, so yeah, Dove Knox are good. Hazelton obviously has shown himself a lot. I still have Chisholm. Um, for this year and then figure out what the young guys can do next year as long as we don't lose anymore uh, and then really hit the recruiting trail, pick up some guys, uh, just get at least one or two, bring you back to 12 uh, to try and counteract any losses that you could have. So, uh, yeah, not a great story uh, to start off the week, start off the show, but it did happen, so we're, we're going to talk about it. Uh, but moving on to stuff that is good. Hey, remember when we beat Kentucky? That was cool. That was super cool. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan of that. Um, so obviously, you know, on Tuesdays we, we try to kind of get our last thoughts in there. We've had some time to breathe and really appreciate the vintage for what it is. So BK, you've been in the lab. I saw your Twitter machine flying. Uh, what do you got on the Kentucky game? 
Yeah, so I'm going to have this piece up, uh, I believe by the time you're listening to this, you're, it's probably going to be up on rockamnation.com. I I really went for the sexy hot takes this week, man. <laughs> I, I'm really, I am all in on getting as many clicks as I possibly can. I looked into the Missouri wide receiver blocking <sighs> against Kentucky. <laughs> so... I was really taken aback as I was reading some of the post-game analysis of the game from Dave Matter, Gabe DeArmond, all the guys, and they they had some of the snap counts. And I was like, okay, I look these over, and nothing really stood out to me. And then suddenly you get to the receivers, and you're like, whoa, what? So the ones that really stood out to me were Towski Dove had 55 snaps in the game. He led all wide receivers for Missouri. Michael Wilson has 45. He was second. Mm -hmm. Jalen Knox was third at 39. Then you get down to Barrett Bannister, kind of a teardrop behind them. He's at 27. Damon Hazleton had 26, and Kiki Chisholm had 22. Deontay Smith was kind of like the last guy that got significant snaps. He had 18. Again, going back, Towski Dove, 55. Michael Wilson, 45. Damon Hazleton, 26. Kiki Chisholm, 22. Those guys got less than half the snaps of Dove and Wilson. Now, if you told me going into the season that, hey, against Kentucky, Missouri's going to beat the hell out of them, and your starting wide receivers, basically is what they were, are going to be Towski Dove and Michael Wilson, I would have said, how exactly did that happen? <laughs> like, what has gone wrong? Where are Damon Hazleton and Kiki Chisholm, and how hurt are they right now? Mm -hmm. So, they weren't hurt. They were perfectly fine, but... It's pretty clear to me, having gone back and watched the the film, especially from the fourth quarter, I think Drinkwitz just really likes the blocking capabilities that Towski Dove and Micah Wilson bring to the table. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was one drive in particular that you could really hone in on. It was the middle of the fourth quarter, about 10 minutes left in the game. At this point, you got to remember, the Tigers were only up 17 to 10, so the game's very much in question. They end up going on a 15-play, 61-yard field goal drive that took more than seven minutes off the clock. Most of that was via run. There were a couple of throws mixed in there, including one to Damon Hazleton that actually picked up a first down. That was a really big play. But these guys outside, on the outside as the wide receivers, were blocking their asses off. Mm -hmm. They were... They had all the effort that you could possibly want, and it was mostly Dove and Wilson on that drive getting the vast majority of the snaps. So whenever you're looking at those snap counts, remember, Wilson had 11 snaps on that, what was it, a 16-play drive? 15-play mm -hmm. uh, drive, rather. Dove was right behind him with nine, and then Hazleton and Chisholm just had two on that drive. So that's really where the disconnect happened. It was very late in the game, and it was because of blocking. So... I know fans don't love looking into this. It's not exactly sexy to talk about wide receiver blocking, but I will tell you why it matters. And it's that if Drinkwitz puts these guys on the field because of their blocking, you're going to see more of them. Whether you like it or not, coaches fall in love with this stuff. So expect to hear more from Towski Dove and Micah Wilson moving forward because they know those guys are going to give them 100% effort at all time. They put them in a situation that really mattered down the stretch. That's a big thing to me. It is. I mean, Wes Kemp made an entire career out of being an awesome blocker on the outside. Um, he was Missouri's basically starting receiver for 2010 and 2011 too. He's just a big dude, blocked really well, and he wasn't you know he wasn't tearing it up uh, when he was catching the ball or anything like that. But that that didn't matter. That's not what they're asking him to do. 
Uh, same for, oh, what's his name? Gerald Jackson. Gerald Jackson out of Houston. Uh, number 29 receiver. See? BK. Receivers have weird numbers. It can happen. Yeah, he should have had a better number. Yeah. <laughs> he liked it. He liked the twenty nine, and and he and he blocked incredibly well. Uh, that's why he kept seeing the field. So it's it's not it's not the thing that you want to see your receivers do. You want to see see your receivers flying down the field or jumping, and catching those jump balls, and you know making all their corners look look stupid. But guess what? When you uh, when you want to run the ball sixty one times and you want to find success on it, it helps to have. Solid blocking on the outside, outside corners. And I, I saw, you know, the all the screen caps that you had, BK, and, and you you nailed it on Tyler Beatty's run uh, that he almost scored on. That would have been stopped well, well short, uh, probably two or three yards short, if it wasn't uh, for uh, for Dove holding on, well, not holding, but blocking his guy, uh, impeding the movement, and making sure that Beatty could bounce outside. Like, it's... It's important. That sort of thing is important. It's not yards. It's not on the stat sheet. But um, Drinkwitz has made it a point that if you want the rock, you got to block. And uh, yep. if it's important important to drink, it's certainly important to us. Exactly. And that that's the thing. That's why I wanted to look into it because it, it, at the end of the day, like to catch the ball, you've got to be on the field. And if these guys are going to be out there and they're executing what Drinkwitz is calling, well, they're going to be out there more often. They're going to continue getting these opportunities. And the play you're talking about was a really important play. Mm -hmm. It was third and 10. And basically, this would have been stopped probably two yards short of the first down marker, not of the end zone, of the first down marker. Mm. They would have had fourth and two or so at about the 10 or 11 yard line, if not for that block by Towski Dove. And so that's they ended up taking off another two and a half minutes of the clock. So even if you don't think that the that play ended up mattering a whole lot because they ended up still getting a field goal out of this drive, well, the time, the time is what mattered there. They were able to bleed another two minutes off of the clock, and then it effectively ends the game because you give the ball back to Kentucky with like two, two and a half minutes uh, to play, and there's no way they're going to score two scores with that little time on the clock. So that's a really big play there. It's a small thing that ends up leading to a really big thing. And that was kind of my biggest takeaway from all of this, rewatching a lot of that fourth quarter in particular and the blocking that you could see from those receivers. It's a small thing, but the coaches view it as a really big thing. And so for us as Mizzou fans, we should all expect to see a lot more Towski Dove and Michael Wilson moving forward. And Barrett Bannister deserves to be mentioned here as well. He also looked really good in, in his opportunities blocking on that drive. Uh, and again, Damon Hazleton, Kiki Chisholm, just two snaps on that drive. I think that's Jeez. really telling. You know, it's funny, Michael Wilson, uh, athletic dude, obviously. He was a running quarterback in high school, and that's kind of how Missouri recruited him. Did not anticipate him being, um, number one, a receiver, but number two, a good blocking receiver. But like you said, it might just be effort. I When you mentioned this, I don't even remember when you mentioned it, but when I watched it one of my many times of rewatching it, I was looking for him. And it's not so much that he was uh, like effectively blocking. It was more like he was just getting trampled or slowing down the the progress of the defender, which still counts, man. Like he's not, you know, he's not DPJ. He's not a tight end, just leveling right. dudes. He's just getting in the way and and making an effort to do that. And um, kudos to him, man. Like he's ne- he'll probably never be remembered in Missouri fandom for anything at all. But uh, I hope that at least while he's here, we can appreciate what he does and understand that hey, he knew he wasn't going to cut it as a quarterback here. Uh, he did what he had to do to see the field and then did what he had to do to make his team win. And um, I think that's pretty cool. 
how quickly we forget Michael Wilson, hero of the LSU football game, Nate Edwards. <laughs> he did catch that huge bomb. Uh, one huge, of many who caught huge, huge bombs against LSU. Yeah. Yeah, so he he's going to be remembered for that for sure, at least by me. I will never forget that. That's fine. Um, you're, you're right, though. I mean, to your larger point on his blocking, like, listen, I'm not going to pretend like him or Towski, for that matter, or are great blockers. Very few receivers are. Like, there are very few receivers that are actually just out there dominating yeah. uh, physically against opposing cornerbacks. That's just not... It's not what it's going to look like. First of all, these corners are really agile and really athletic. And so if they want to get around you more often than not, they've got a pretty good way of going about that. This is about effort and putting your body between the corner and wherever your running lane is expected to be for your running back or creating a running lane for your running back. Mm -hmm. And that's not easy to do. And so when you see that specifically from Towski Dove on that third and 10, it really stands out because he basically turns the corner just enough and is able to get just enough of him for Tyler Beatty to evade him, go outside, and now he's able to get an extra six, seven yards as a result. That's all you need. It's mm -hmm. all you need. Just get, get, put yourself between yourself and the defender, and if you're willing to give a little bit of effort, that's where you can make all of the difference in the world because you get that extra second with them, and that's going to make the difference between your running back potentially getting the first or getting stopped a little bit short on that third down when he does end up coming right behind you. And that doesn't always happen, and that's why sometimes we don't notice these things is because the ball has to go to the specific spot next to you for any of this to matter, and that doesn't always take place. But when it does, it becomes a really big thing if you're not doing your job. It does. And again, 61 runs. 61. That's incredible. In fact, really every everything about this box score, especially the advanced one, was just absolutely ridiculous. Um, I posted it up on my piece today and beyond the box score. Uh, really take a look at it. It's it's some jarring numbers. I've, I've seen, if you look at the number of plays, just look at the number of plays. 36 next to Kentucky, 92 next to Missouri. <laughs> you know, plays per possession, four plays per possession for Kentucky, nine, basically 9.2 for Missouri. Uh, quadrupled their yards, um, you know, they doubled up their yards uh, gain per possession. Like, Missouri just put a thumping on. This was absolute domination. It should have been, you know, 35-3 to three, uh, for the quality of play that they gave. But, you know, it still ended up being a win at 20-10. to 10. Um, The big thing, and we keep talking about this. The expected score was based on the, like, the outputs that you have the expected score uh do i have that let me take a look i don't think i do okay i wasn't sure i apologize for <laughs> putting okay. you on the spot there but i was wondering because you're right like the the numbers look so outlandish that it it never felt like it should be as close as ultimately the score actually was right um sometimes well, let me take a look. No, I do not have that. God, wow. I okay. really dropped the ball on this. No, I do not have expected score or percentages on how they played either. So boo on me. Um, <laughs> but the things that I do have, for example, we talk about finishing drives. We talk about creating scoring opportunities and then capitalizing on those opportunities that you get. I don't know how you particularly feel, BK, or how the fan base feels. But when you look at that stat... Kentucky had two scoring opportunities. Basically, they had two chances um, to score on the Missouri defense. They averaged five points per opportunity because they had 10 points. That's easy math. 
Easy math on the other side, too. Missouri had five, technically six, but five real scoring opportunities. Average four points per opportunity on that. Part of that, really the biggest part of that, was the 21-point drive that didn't end up in anything. Mm-hmm. That would have really improved the odds there. Um, so, you know, we go back to that play call, which I know I said that I didn't care too much about it. I know you did. I know some other people have echoed that. But if you just take the field goal and you're up, you know, you finish 23 to 10 or something like that, uh, or however, however the butterfly effect goes after that, it does change a lot of the math. And mm-hmm. maybe that counts in other games, but it certainly didn't count in this one. But it's just one of those things to keep track of because, again, Missouri's points per opportunity of four was more reminiscent of what they did against Alabama with 3.8. Uh, you know, Tennessee, they averaged 2.4. LSU, they averaged 5.6. So, like, you can tell when these wins happen, but, you know, if you have timely defense and you keep the uh, the opposing offense off the field, it doesn't really matter how well you do, but that's something that could bite them in the near future. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at some of these drives, they finished at the Kentucky one-yard line with a field goal. They finished Kentucky nine-yard line, and it was turnovers on downs. Kentucky one-yard line again, and it was a field goal. And then I don't know how this goes into that, but they finished at the Kentucky 27, and the, the game ended. I didn't so count I that I don't know one. if that is. Okay, yeah. so cool. Because so, they really weren't I mean, trying that, to score at that point. They were just trying to run out the clock. Right. So really it is, it, it's those three drives. It's the two that ended on the goal line with a field goal, mm-hmm. and it's the one that ended from the Kentucky 9, so inside of the 10-yard line, and you end up turn turnover on downs on that 21-play, 66-yard drive that gives you zero points. That's the one that hurts. You, you got to get points out of that drive. And then I don't know what they need to do at the goal line to be more effective, but they've got to find something. They've got to find a go-to. Like, when Albert O was here, it was, okay, once you get inside the 10, it's just that pop past Albert O. And he's going to come up with it every time, right? <laughs> you, you knew that when all else fails, we've got this in our back pocket. I don't think they found that yet. And part of that might be because Damon Hazleton was out, and I think he was going to be somebody that really played into those <clears throat> that role where he can be a guy that really is effective in the red zone. I want to see a little bit more of that, whether it be with fades from him, and I hate the fade. Trust me, I hate the fade. He's really good at them. And so if you're going to run them, he's the guy to run it to. Uh, I'd prefer to see more of the slants. He ran one on a third and I think it was like a third and seven in this game that I rewatched. He's really good on those, man. He creates separation. He's physical with the corners. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. So I want to see him more involved whenever you get down there. And that's that's probably going to be the best way for them to try something new because they've gone to these jet sweeps they've gone to the options to the short side Mm -hmm. they've done a lot of this misdirection stuff and it's just not working when you're that close to the goal line see i feel like the answer is kiki i think that's where that's his time to shine it's big receiver you know he can he can post up i know he's not like he's not albert O, but i feel like that's where you should use a big body receiver like that if not to catch the ball to rub a pick route you know put put chisholm and hazelton on the left side have them cross and have Chisholm basically <laughs> throw a pick, um, you know, in a basketball term, uh, pick and roll so that it opens up Hazleton in the back corner. Like, I feel like that's how you should use it. Now, obviously, I am a dumb, dumb person who sits in his basement and watches these games. <laughs> I am not Eli Drinkwitz, but I feel like, I don't know. Like, if, if it's not, if 
if Chisholm is not using the open field and he's not using the red zone, then what the hell is his point? What What's his purpose here? Is it time to have a serious conversation about Kiki Chisholm? Maybe. Are we, will, are we, are we ready to go there? Maybe. Because here's, here's the list of Missouri wide receivers or Missouri pass catchers this year with more yards on the season than Kiki Chisholm. Oh, boy. Jalen Knox, Damon Hazleton, Tyler Beatty, Towski Dove, Barrett Bannister, Chance Looper, Deontay Smith. <laughs> Nico Hay is five yards behind him yeah. and has three more receptions than him. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the list of Mizzou pass catchers with a touchdown on the season. Mm-hmm. By the way, he does not have one so far. You got Tyler Beatty, mm-hmm. Towski Dove. You got Nico Hay. You've got Micah Wilson. That's it. Again, Kiki Chisholm does not have a touchdown on the season. Yep. Daniel Parker Jr. has the same number of receptions as Kiki Chisholm. Dominic Jacinto has one fewer than Kiki Chisholm does on the year. At a certain point, we might have to give up on the Kiki Chisholm dream, man. It just might not happen this year. Damon Hazleton right now is the player that we all thought is the product, giving you the production that we thought Kiki Chisholm might. Damon Hazleton this year, 15 catches for 150 yards. Right. Now he's Kiki also Chisholm, four for sixty-four. Right, but Damon Hazelton also has twenty-four targets. Kiki Chisholm. No, has I know, seven. but I thought that was going to be Kiki. I know, I know. So not only is he not getting the yards, he's also not getting the targets. That's not an accident. And some of that is no. Some of that is about him getting open. Exactly. Eventually, you you got to show yourself, man, because uh, this quarterback's going to find you if you're open. He's going to get it to you. Yeah, and and like okay, so against Alabama, I get it. I get it. It's Alabama. Also with Sean Robinson as quarterback. Even against mm-hmm. Tennessee. Now the Tennessee we see now, less forgivable. But even then, like like that was a different Tennessee team. That was a different Missouri team. I get it. He wasn't around for LSU. I would have loved to see what he could do there. I don't know if he would have gotten more targets or what. But point is, is that he's just not an option. He's not getting open. Um, seven targets, four catches, 64 yards. That's basically Deontay Smith. Yeah. And Deontay Smith's but a walk-on. Deontay Smith did it on – he caught everything. Except for one, yeah. He caught everything but one. Yeah. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. And Kiki Chisholm has a 14% drop rate. So – Most of those came week one, though, right? I think it was against Alabama, yeah. Yeah. So – For what it's worth, Mizzou has not really had a drop problem since then in any significant no, way, right? No, not after the Tennessee game. When they dropped everything possible, yeah, they haven't dropped the ball since. Yeah. So, um, one interesting thing I'm looking at right here. Let's see here. So, air yards per target. How long is the ball in the air before a specific player catches it? Let me pull this up here. See if it has anything. How far down the field is the player whenever he's targeted? Basically. Basically, yeah. So Kiki Chisholm has run 65 routes. Yuck. Um, that's a lot with not a lot of production, man. Um, air yards per target, uh, 9.9. That is, well, it's less than Micah Wilson and Chance Looper, but those guys, we're not, (laughs) we're not really going to count them. Um, that is basically on par with Damon Hazleton at 9.8 on par with Towski Dove at 9.8. And the next closest is Barrett Bannister at 9.1. So, yeah, it's not even mm. like he's getting deep balls and just not, you know, not catching them, not bringing them in. It's it's basically the same as what a Hazleton uh, and a Dove are doing, and he's just not as good at it. 
Yeah. I mean, I for all the hype that we heard coming into the year, and this is not a shot at the kid. Like, no. I'm glad he's at Mizzou. I hope he has a tremendous year at Mizzou. <clears throat> I, I wish him nothing but success, both now and moving forward. And I hope he proves all of this wrong. Mm-hmm. I hope he's awesome down the stretch. And he basically makes me a laughing stock by even saying any of this. But <laughs> so far, we haven't seen anything to back any of that up. It's been Damon Hazleton that's the better of the two grad transfers. And frankly, he's been like the fifth best wide receiver in terms of production so far this year. Kiki Chisholm has. So can we can we explain this away as a acclimation period to SEC defenses? Is that legit? Maybe, um, but I mean, if that's the case, then what's the explanation for some of the other guys that haven't really seen action in any game? I mean, it's not like Towski Dove was a mainstay last year on the team, mm-hmm. and he gets his first real opportunities, and he's been great. Every opportunity he's been out there. Mm-hmm. Deontay Smith wasn't a guy that was getting opportunities previously, and he goes out there, and he looks really good and produces right away. So as much as maybe I, I would love to be able to, I, I don't know that you really can. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I don't I mean, Damon, D- Damon Hazleton went up against good competition in the past, Power 5 competition, but he wasn't even going up against the SEC. It's true. And he looks like the same player today that he was at Virginia Tech. But for, for all the good right. and the bad that comes with that, he, Damon Hazleton has been as advertised. Yeah. Same guy that we anticipated. A low, low percentage, high variance, really high ceiling, low floor type of a player. Yeah. That's what he's been. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, uh, Kiki, learn to block. You'll get on the field more. (laughs) (laughs) And separation is key. That helps. And separation, yeah. Get open and and block well, please. Um, Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, uh, getting getting back to Kentucky. Sorry, Kiki. Um, You know, it it was just, it was a a Neanderthal beatdown. Like, there's nothing Mm -hmm. fancy about it. There wasn't any flash. It was just old school punishing win uh you look at the advanced stats and you know success rates like you can look at them they're good but you know football is the ultimate small sample sport and kentucky's box score was the ultimate small sample box score like they had successful plays in the second half it's just that they didn't run any plays in the second half (laughs) they you know any any play that they did poorly on was a pass and they threw it one, two, three, four, five, five times in the second half. And it just derailed, other than the touchdown pass, it basically just derailed the drives. You know, Chris Rodriguez was really churning there in, in the second half. A.J. Rose, uh, oh, who's the other guy? Uh, uh, I freaking forget. No, it was A.J. Rose. Um, uh-huh. Those two were actually doing pretty well as far as success rates go. And they just, for whatever reason, got away from it, trying to mix it up. And they have one receiver who can catch the ball. They really can't throw it all that well. And Enos Rakestraw just said, nope, not happening. And that was it. So yep. it was – this is one of those games that kind of turns advanced stats and like, well, yes, that's true, but it's only because they didn't do anything. And uh, it was just shocking to see that in like field position. Oh, my God, starting field position. Missouri started on their 31. Kentucky was starting on their 18. That's 13-yard difference. Over 10 possessions, that's a 130-yard difference. 
Yeah. By the way, Grant McInnes, huge game in this one. Yeah. Um, he had four punts. Three of them were downed inside of the 20. Yep. That's massive. Yeah. Like that, that is a really, really big deal. And, God, we are the we are the punting and wide receiver blocking podcast <laughs> God, this <yes>. week. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, when you're when you're downing everything inside of the twenty, it, it makes your punts worthwhile. So, uh, huge job by him this week. I mean, Mizzou did all of the little things well, mm-hmm. and that that's that's one of the things that really stands out to you about it. I I described it in my post that'll be up by the time that uh, people are listening to this. I, I basically said I've I've never seen a python attack its prey because I'm not much of uh, a snake guy, <laughs> but that's what this was. Yeah, Th- they were a boa constrictor, and over the course of sixty minutes, they they just they choked the life out of Kentucky. Yeah, and it was just over it, it, by the by the time that Kentucky was done, they had just lost all will to continue playing the football game. Mm-hmm. They just they they wanted to get out of this game and be done with it. And, man, it's been a while since I've said that about a Mizzou football team. Not a snake guy, huh? Not much of a snake guy, no. Is it like a phobia thing or just no thanks? I, I mean, if I see a snake in person, yeah, it is a uh, – I would say it's it's fair to call it a phobia. Oh. Not, not much of a snake guy. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm good. Okay. I'm good on that. So we are not visiting the St. Louis Herpetarium anytime soon. No, no. Snakes and gators, not for me, man. Snakes and gators. Oh, man. Well. Don't go to Florida, the Florida game then. Um, geez. All right. Any other fears you'd like to share with uh, the listenership or maybe a <laughs> schedule of what you're doing tomorrow? <laughs> My schedule is far too uninteresting to get into it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the thing we can get into is depth charts because we got a new one dropped today. Uh, drink sounded pretty salty today, uh, uh, mainly because Florida – is not releasing any injury information, which I didn't realize you could do that. Uh, sounds like Drinkwitz didn't think he could do that either. So he is being a little cagey about who's going to be available and who's not. So not only do we not take depth charts as like on their word, ironclad, this is what's going to happen. But if there are injured dudes, he's going to list them basically where they were last week anyway. So you don't really see anything different. My question is always uh, injuries that we saw. So Xavier Delgado went out at the beginning of the second half. Larry Borum went out, I think, in the fourth quarter. Those two, I don't know how they're doing, but they're both listed as starters at the left guard and right tackle, respectfully. Uh, So who knows? We'll find out game day whether they're playing or not. Um, But other than that, there's only two moves. And the first, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Kay Musser, uh, our walk-on receiver from Blue Springs, Missouri, is now our punt returner. Uh, He caught four or five. He didn't drop any. And that's really all you need from a punt returner at this point. So uh, I don't need you to make a play if that ends up meaning that you drop the ball and fumble it and give the team an opportunity. He called for a fair catch on every one of them, too, right? Every single one. Uh, the, yeah. the one that he didn't catch, he let drop because it came up a little short, and Kentucky was all over it, so he just waved them off. Uh, and then the only other move, Mr. Hazleton went from third to first, uh, which, I mean – he was starting against Kentucky anyway, so he must have had a good week yeah. of practice, and that just continues to this week's depth chart. Yeah, it's a reminder. As we said last week, it might be nothing. It might be something. It ended up being nothing, although it was kind of something um, in, a, in a weird way. He started the game. Him and Ch- uh, Chisholm were both on the field on the first play mm-hmm. of the game. So those are your starting wide receivers. I think if <clears throat> as much as we've talked about Chisholm in, in this show and how he, he hasn't exactly lived up to what we were hoping he could potentially be, 
those are the two probably most talented wide receivers on the roster right now. So they're going to be the guys that start the games. They're your quote-unquote starters. That being said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we once again see more of Towski Dove. I wouldn't be surprised if later in the game, if Mizzou's up, which we'll see in this one. I, I don't think this is going to be the same kind of game <laughs> script as it was last week. No. But if that ends up being the case, Micah Wilson will certainly get his opportunities. But your main guys are going to be Dove, Chisholm, Hazleton, and Knox. And then you'll see a little bit of Bannister in there as well mm-hmm. as a slot receiver. Yeah. So I, I, I... Oh, one other thing to mention. Yes. Real quick, uh, sorry. The other thing on the offense when it comes to the depth chart, uh, Dylan Spencer, if Delgado is out, he looks pretty good Yeah. Uh, against Kentucky. He, he's a freshman, and he's getting in there, mixing it up, and had his first real opportunity for extended playing time. I didn't notice him at all, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're not noticing a guy who's on the offensive line the way that we watch these games, at least on first watch, right? I'm watching the same way you and the listening audience probably do. I'm watching it as a fan on first watch, and then eventually you go back and I'll rewatch things a little bit um, more with a fine-tooth comb. But he he looked fine out there. So if they are without Delgado, and hopefully they're not, but if they are, I think they'll be okay in this one with, with Spencer starting at guard. I agree. And, like, we, we noticed the difference there because, like, Xavier was rolling around on the ground. The camera was on him. Like, we saw that something was wrong. They replayed it. They saw how he got rolled up on, and that sucks. Uh, so we knew Dylan Spencer was coming in anyway. You really want to talk about not being noticed. I didn't realize Larry Borum was out injured and Javon Foster had replaced him until the second time I watched. And I was like, wait a second. Larry Borum isn't 76. What is this? And that's when I noticed that, that Javon Foster had come in. And, and again, not any drop off at all, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Uh, which is huge. Uh, right tackle, you know, the tackles tend to be the more important positions as far as uh, passing goes. So when you're running the ball, maybe it's less important, but still. And Borum's probably their best overall lineman. Exactly. This year. He is he the best. He wasn't in this game, but had been previously. Yeah, he is the best. I think he's been the best rated offensive lineman for Missouri by Pro Football Focus like every week. So um, to have him go down and everything's still fine. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So I do feel good as of now about those guys having to start if they need to. But, um, you know, we are going up against Florida, so that'll be that'll be a different kind of beast. But, uh, yeah, not too bad. Um, I, th- I know, Who was it? I think it was Gabe DeArmond who said it. Um, but if you're looking for um, what, like an MVP of the coaching staff – you need to seriously oh, yeah. consider uh, Marcus Johnson as the guy because this offensive line was not good last year with a lot of returning guys. And with very few returning guys, um, they have not been the weakness that we all thought they were going to be. Not even close. Uh, they've in some ways been a strength of what they're trying to accomplish. So he's he has been everything they could have asked for and then some as an offensive line coach. And – I know uh, in the post-game show on Saturday night, we talked a little bit about Drinkwitz and the future and getting hired away and all these fears that people – Marcus Johnson is the one you got to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Because people will pay out the wazoo for a really good offensive line coach because that is a position that is really hard to fill. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be doing a really good job so far this season. And I've, 
I'm hoping like heck, man, that they're going to be able to keep him after the season because he that that is that is one of those things that about is, is about as invaluable as you can possibly have, and is one of the things that we don't think a whole lot about on the outside looking in because it, it's almost intangible. Although the tangible effects are shown every Saturday once they go out there. I when I did my coaching previews this offseason, he was he always struck me as a really interesting dude because he started as a as a strength coach. And you don't really hmm. get a lot of those that turn into position coaches. Obviously, Ed Ordron's maybe the, the best uh, known uh, strength coach to position coach to head coach. Um, but, yeah, and, and the other thing is that he hasn't been doing it all that long. He was a strength coach at Duke starting in 2011. Uh, then he went to quality control in 2013. Then he went to offensive line for 16 and 17. Then he went to Mississippi State for the past two years, and now he's here. Yeah, and he played in the league too. That's the other thing is mm-hmm. he's he's not that old of a guy. He's thirty eight years old, mm-hmm. and he was, I want to say, a pretty high pick if I'm not mistaken in the NFL draft. So he's a guy that played in the league for a little while, ended up uh, hanging it up, went to Duke, strength and conditioning coach there, and then like you said, ended up making his way eventually to back to the offensive line. So this is a guy that has practiced literally what he is preaching, and so I do think that sometimes goes a long way as well. He actually played the position, not just in college, but in the NFL as well. Second round, 49th pick to the Minnesota Vikings. Mm. Hmm. Old Miss grad. Wow, good for him. I forgot about that. Yeah, heck of a player. Yeah. I this this staff, man, and we'll we'll get to Florida in a second. This staff is ripe of full of people who I'm like, you're going places. Ryan Walters, mm-hmm. what is he, 34? Yeah. I think he's my age. Uh, yeah, he's he will be a head coach very soon. Marcus Johnson, he's got, someone's going to throw a lot of money at him. Um, at, there's just too many good recruiters. DJ Smith. DJ Smith's pretty good. Uh, he was also in the league. Like there's there's a lot of young, hungry talent on this staff. Uh, David Gibbs aside, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I'm I'm going to be very sad to lose some of these guys because they are going to go. But it's it's because they're doing a hell of a job, right? Would you be very sad to see David Gibbs go? <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe. Here's here's what I will say. Here's what I will say, and I'm going to try and give him some credit here because I don't want to be a I don't want to be a dick. There is a <laughs> chance that you have a David Gibbs on your staff because he's a really good recruiter, and if that's the case, that's fine. Typically, your recruiters, your good recruiters, are like cornerback coaches, running back coaches. Yeah, I think Charlie Harbison's the coach that's doing that for. Him. See, and that's the thing. You we got two secondary coaches. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why do you need two? And I'm kind of thinking, you know, Gibbs was was apparently really the big voice in the room that got Rakestraw to Mizzou. So oh, really? if that's the case, I want to give him a pass on this whole coaching turnover, blah, blah, blah thing, and just say, look, if you're here because of your recruiting acumen, I'll shut up and it's fine. But I just I don't want anybody to push the turnover thing because then it gets my hackles all riled up. So I'm going to give him credit there. I, I do – to your larger point, it's a really good staff with a lot of really young and hungry dudes on it. Yep. Um, and they they seemingly have done a really good job with the roster that they've been handed. Uh, I I will say this. I, I would love to hear from some of the players about their position coaches <laughs> or hear from the position coaches. Yeah. 
Um, the, the tough part is right now with the way that everything's going and the media availability, and I'm not complaining about the access. Like I know nobody wants to hear about that, but, uh, I would love to hear more from these guys because I do think they're really interesting and, uh, that's just not, it's not possible this year, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, at some, some point we'll get a tell all book or something like that. I don't know. Um, but yeah, Hey, there's another game this week, or at least they're still scheduled to be a game this week. Um, it's going to happen. Damn it. It's going to happen. We're going to speak it into existence. Missouri goes to the swamp to play the number 10. Yeah. Number 10, Florida Gators. Um, this will be the fourth ranked opponent in the first five games. A fact that Eli Drinkwitz was very happy to point out in his, in his press, press conference Mm today. Um, it's going to be tough. Now, Florida is the second best recruiting team left on Missouri's schedule for 2020. Obviously the best is Georgia because Georgia's the best recruiting team in the country right now. Um, but here's the thing, the thing about Florida and recruiting, and we'll get into the team in a little bit uh, in just a second here, but the interesting thing to keep in mind is that yes, Florida recruits incredibly well and their five-year average is in the top 10. The issue that you need to keep in mind is, is that a lot of those guys they signed didn't even make it to campus. So they're not super deep right now as far as blue blood players. They do have them. They do have more than Missouri, and that's the important part. But a lot of their recruiting numbers are kind of artificially inflated because you know once once you sign the kid, we don't want to keep track of, oh, did he transfer? Oh, did he even make it? Like That's way too much work for recruiting services. I don't blame them. But they might not be as deep as we think they are. And now, on top of that, in the past week, they've had an additional six people test positive for COVID. Dan Mullen is saying that they can field 53 scholarship players. That is the bare minimum, so literally no one else can catch it, or else this game will be, I guess, forfeited. I don't know if it's going to be rescheduled, but the point is, is that Florida, which is already not as deep as your typical blue blood, is even less deep now, and um, Missouri gets to go play them after winning two straight uh, one against national, defending national champions and one against a team that typically has their goat. So just with that in mind, BK, what are your initial thoughts about this matchup? I think it's going to be more like the LSU game than it will be like the Kentucky game. I'll start with that. Um, Florida's defense has not been particularly good this year. If you look at some of the advanced numbers, they still think they're a solid unit. I think SP Plus has them in like the top 30. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at some of the traditional metrics, scoring defense, they're giving up 33 points per game. If you look at rushing defense, they're giving up 165 yards per game on the ground. They're giving up 330 yards per game through the air. Opponents are converting 60% of their third downs against them. It hasn't been very good. And that's going up against Ole Miss, whose offense has been hot and cold this year. Texas A&M, who's been solid. And South Carolina, whose offense has really been hot and cold so far this year so it's not like they've seen a murderer's row to start the season and the defense has been probably for most florida fans a little disappointing Mm -hmm. now on the other side of things their offense is awesome and they have a quarterback who if not for this covid situation would be getting a lot of talk as being one of the better ones in all of college football kyle trask is a really good player Mm -hmm. Um, they also have a tight end in kyle pitts who is just incredible 
He's like 18 years old. I'm pretty sure he just came out of the womb, but he's catching everything. <laughs> it's going over the top. He's fast as hell. He's super athletic. Once you get into the red zone, good luck covering him. He's massive. He's 6'4", or 6'6", rather, 240 pounds. Uh, he's the nightmare matchup, and that's the guy you've got to circle on every single play once you get into the play. So really good offense, a less-than-stellar defense. This screams LSU 2.0. That's the way you win this game. Kyle Pitts has 26 targets. He is the most targeted receiver on the team. The next mm-hmm. closest is Kadarius Tony, which is a running back receiver hybrid at 24. After that, the next closest guy has 12. So if it's not going to Kyle Pitts or Kadarius Tony, it's really not going to anybody. <laughs> so put a guy on him. Uh, they should. They should. Honest to God, you should put Nick Bolton on Kyle Pitts underneath, and you should have a safety over the top of. Him oh, I was going to say just put. Josh Bledsoe straight up on him. Absolutely. Like, I'm saying off of the line of scrimmage, you got to have somebody that is beating the hell out of him on every single play. Yeah. He should get annoyed as hell all day long yeah. because he, he, is, he needs to be double teamed from start to finish of this game. Bledsoe did a good job against Terrace Marshall. Now, he was mm-hmm. picked on 10 times for five completions in 86 yards and a touchdown. But, like, that's what Terrace Marshall does to people. Um, he was, Bledsoe was pretty good at taking away those reads in the second half um, when Missouri started really kind of hanging with them and they had to move to other guys like uh, uh, their other receivers. So if Bledsoe can do that against you know one of the quickest, fastest, most sure-handed receivers, I'd like to see what he could do against probably the best tight end in the country. I'm, well, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll go there. I'd take him there. Most dynamic, I Most, would say. There you go. Most dynamic. Um, I like to see him just straight up. You know, let Martez Manuel um, and Tyree Gillespie maybe play a little bit more center field if you need to uh, to make that sacrifice. But, yeah, I would put Bledsoe on him and just say, all right, make, make this happen. So yeah. their offense is so good, BK, that my my take, my, my things for Missouri to win are just so embarrassingly poor. Um, the weakness that they have – the only weakness I could find, I found two. One is that Florida is averaging almost nine yards per third down. Uh, now that is like, – what's that? In terms of yards to get? Yards or... to get. They're averaging okay. a third and nine. Technically a third third and 8.8. But that is their average third they down They throw distance. the ball a lot. That's so the thing. The only way that they get to third down is, well, they're not completing on first and second. Yeah. So – as far as converting third downs, though, they're 45th – or sorry, they're third and third and long in completion percentage on third and, on third and long. They're 37th in the country on succeeding on third and medium, which is really weird. And then they're literally the best team in the country at converting third and short. The best. They have never missed. So me saying, well, they average 8.8 yards to go on third down is pretty much of a stretch. But here's the thing. Keep in mind, Missouri's defense is actually pretty good at third down as well. So yeah. um, they need to win that matchup. And then the other one was turnovers. Like, that's literally all I could come up with. <laughs> win the third downs that are long and then try and get a few turnovers. Because Missouri hasn't done that. Um, if you if they can get two turnovers, I feel like they could hang. But, like, yeah, this offense is, is just otherworldly. Very scary. It's really, really good. And all they want to do is pass against you. They're they're not even wasting their time most of the time yeah. with the running game. Yeah. I mean, if you look at what their attempts are on the season, they've got 18 attempts running from their quarterback. So otherwise, if you eliminate those, with the actual running back attempts that they've had on the year, 
it's less than 60 in three games. Mm -hmm. They're just, they're, they're basically saying, forget that. We don't even need to worry about it. And two of those three games, by the way, they won. The one game that they lost, it's not like they were in some massive deficit. They, were, they ended up losing that game 41-38 to against Texas A&M. So this is a team that just wants to throw all day long. And they block really well up front. They've allowed just four sacks on the season. They do not get tackled behind the line. They have the fewest tackles for losses allowed on the season in the SEC. This is just, it's a, it's a like you said, a really good offense that stays ahead of the chains more often than not. And when they don't, it's because they have had two incomplete passes in a row. And that doesn't happen all that often. Kyle Trask is a really good quarterback. He's got a really good tight end. And really, the key to this matchup is pretty simple. Don't let him beat you. <laughs> Don't let Pitts beat you. And that's easier said than done, I understand. But if you end up with this game and Kyle Pitts has, like, five catches for 55 yards, I think Mizzou probably wins. Yeah. I would, that, yeah. That's, that's the way you go about it. Force somebody other than him to beat you. Because he, he is fully capable of single-handedly beating you. Pretty but much. if you if you shut him down a little bit, that is slow him down. You can't shut him down. If you slow him down a little bit, that's the way that you win this game. Larry Roundtree ran 37 times against Kentucky. Uh, Damian Pierce, who is Florida's leading rusher, has run it on the season 25 times. Yeah, 430 yards. So they don't really do that a lot. Um, and they'll give up some passing yards too. By the way, they can defensively. You know, the thing about the Florida passing game, and then we'll move to defense, like, again, it's not deep shots, at least not yet. Um, Kyle Pitts is averaging, like, 10.9 yards through the air as, as a target, so, like, he's usually sitting at the first down marker. Kedarius Tony is usually five yards down the field when he catches the ball. So it's, like, it's little stuff that they break. Uh, so if you can just limit the damage, you know, and make them kind of grind through the air, if you will, that's that's one way to do it. Um, that defense, you said that they're good, and they are. They're 26th, uh, according to SM, SP+. That's all predicated on the fact that they allow no big plays. Like, none. I think the top 10, top 15 in every explosive play metric you can think of, at least. That comes at the sacrifice of being literally the worst team in the world as far as giving up the easy stuff. BK, their rushing success rate, they will allow offenses a rushing success rate of 55%. Hmm. For reference, remember when Tennessee was just plowing the Missouri defensive line? Yeah. That was a 53% success rate. So basically, Florida's defensive front turns every team into Tennessee's rushing game. Dang. Yep. Do you think that's something that uh, Missouri could take advantage of? <laughs> Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess I just wonder, though, I do you think this is a game where they get pretty balanced? I think it because is. Because I don't, I don't think the game plan is to go in there and try to push them around all day. I think you take advantage of the fact that you can push them around a little bit up front. But I think I want to see Basilek throw it out, throw it around a little bit too. I do too. I don't want to see a – I don't think this is a repeat of last week. I don't, I don't, think, that's, I don't think that's the game plan here. They don't let anything big pass them, like, at all. And part of that is because they're really they, – they like to send the house a lot. They're not successful when they do it. That's why these things happen. That's why they let all these efficient plays go by because they're 
sending nine guys and then there's no one to stop anybody if they don't hit anybody. But um, they like to be aggressive and they like to give up the easy stuff, but they don't give anything big. And that kind of boomer bust mentality can let you do something fast or a lot of draws can get past them, a lot of screens can get past them. Todd Grantham, their defense coordinator, is very emotional blitzer. He likes to get angry and send everybody. I think you're right. It's This is going to be more balanced. I, if you do this well, you know, you have Basilak throw on first down, right, where you have the ultimate advantage. You can literally do anything you want. Have Basilak throw it on first, kind of shake it up from the, oh, Larry Roundtree always runs on first. And then in second and third down, when you have a little bit more manageable yards, then, you know, hit the ground. You know you can move them a little bit. Um, and try and just keep them off balance. You know, throwing on first and running on third is a nice way to protect your quarterback in a, in a dangerous situation. And if Florida is going to hit on a couple of these blitzes, I think that's the best way to keep them on their toes. Interesting, because I, it's really hard to know exactly because Florida's had a weird schedule because they've only played these three games, yeah, right? Yeah. So they've played Ole Miss, who looks like a real team in terms of. They're going to play close against everybody. Now, they're not going to win a ton of games, but they're going to score, and they're going to keep it close. And that's kind of been their MO so far this year, and they did that against Florida. They did that against Bama with that massive outburst offensively. They ended up beating Kentucky 42-41 to earlier this year. Ole Miss is going to keep everything close. They're going to score. Texas A&M is rated in the top 10 in the country right now, which I don't know if I really actually believe in no. that. No. <laughs> but they, Texas A&M, put up 41 against this Florida defense. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere, they put up 17 against Vandy, 24 against Bama, and 28 against Mississippi State. So does that tell me that Texas A&M was just really good in that game? Or is Florida's defense maybe not as good as we think? Probably that. South Carolina put up 24 against Florida. Their offense was pretty touch-and-go most of the day, though, and a lot of that success actually came on the ground. Colin Hill, not good in that game, hasn't really been good for the majority of the mm. season, basically yeah. since a couple the, the first week or so of the, game, uh, of the season. Mm. I just I don't know what to make of this Florida defense right now because the advanced numbers still tell me that it's pretty good. If I look specifically at the South Carolina game, I think pretty good. But if I look any further than that, Ole Miss shredded them. Texas A&M shredded them. <laughs> I think Mizzou's offense is closer to those two than it is to South Carolina right now. I'd agree. I'd agree. The the, the Mizzou offense under Connor Bazelak. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, I agree. So, I mean. <laughs> do you think they could win this game? I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say anything out loud. I do think that they can cover. I do think that. The line's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous line. And especially if they have – it's like they're not even looking at the COVID cases. It blows my mind. I think Missouri is absolutely going to cover. Let me get that out of the way. Because the line right now, last I checked, was 13 and a half. Yeah, I that's believe. what I saw on Monday. So it's ridiculous. The thing is, is you have a depleted roster that might not be as good as we think it is. Now, it's still got the weapons that they need, but mm-hmm. who haven't been practicing – who are going up against a hot team right now with a coach who likes to scheme. Now, part of that, it's like, okay, what's Florida going to be? Like, are they still going to be running the same stuff as they were? I'm assuming they are. There's really not a lot of time, especially if you're not practicing, to, to mix it up. So if Drinkwitz comes in with a plan, they can attack this effectively. They haven't been practicing. They don't have all their guys. I think it's an easy recipe for a cover. 
So are you asking if they can win? I mean, yes, technically, in any kind of world, especially a 2020 COVID world, anything can happen. So, yes, win is definitely on the table. Um, I'm really excited to see how they perform. That's that's as far as I'm going to go. Very excited. Yeah. I would also take them to cover. I think they're – if I were picking this game, and I'm guessing we will later this week for, for the site, so I, maybe I'm giving away a little bit too much yeah. here, but if I were picking this game, I would probably say something like – 37 to 31 is what I would expect it to be mm-hmm. in the end. And I, I'd probably pick Florida to win ultimately. If I'm picking 37, 31, that's basically an, it's like in baseball, right? When somebody picks a world series and they say, Oh, I think it's going to go to game seven. And then because the Dodgers are at home, I'll, I'll go ahead and take the Dodgers. What you're basically saying there is you have no idea. <laughs> it could go either <laughs> way. And you're really not sure. I'm saying, I think this is going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be close late. And I'm really not sure which way it's going to go. And that's about as much praise as I could possibly give a team like Missouri in the situation that it's in right now. Oh, absolutely. For me to say about Eli Drinkwitz in his first season that they're going to go on the road in what is their fifth game of the year against a top 10 rated team in the country with one of the better quarterbacks in the country and certainly one of the best weapons of any position with Pitts. And I think that he's got a real shot to pull this off. Man, that says a lot about where we are right now with this program, with this coaching staff, with this team, because I didn't think that I would ever be saying that at the beginning of the (laughs) season. I won't pick them to win, but I will pick them to definitely keep this closer than the spread is expected or is suggesting that it's going to be. Mm -hmm. I think think this could be a really interesting game on Saturday. I really do. The other thing, and and we'll not really figure this out until the end of the year, but those teams that are rich enough to feel like an army of 20 analysts, all of which are former head coaches, Alabama. I wonder how much benefit that massive team of analysts is for those teams. Like if you're not practicing as much or your practices aren't as effective, do you have enough guys who can come up with an effective game plan so that it can overcome that sort of thing? Uh, It's impossible to tell, and I don't know, but Florida has a pretty extensive staff. And if they have been working really hard and, and they watch the Kentucky game and the LSU game, I don't know what they're going to take away from it, but um, maybe that's an advantage too. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, if you look at the advanced stuff, I think Bill Connolly says Florida has an 87% win probability with an expected score of 36-ish to 17-ish. And if that was full-strength Florida, you know, on a normal week, yeah, I would, yeah, absolutely I would take that. But this is an any of that this is a covid riddled roster coming off of a weird week and going up against a team that's that's feeling themselves and have have, and by the way what trap game potential got georgia the next week you're right yep you're right and that and that is that is their game Mm -hmm. that that is that is the big one the way that mizzou basketball fans feel about mizzou versus or mizzou mizzou versus kansas like whoever the game was before the KU game, that that's never yeah. going to be the one that everybody wants to go to. It's a Mizzou versus Kansas. That's the one. Yeah, this is the big one for Florida every year. Every year. Florida versus Georgia, and so the <clears throat> fact that that is the following week. There's no bye week in between. It's mm-hmm. just Mizzou versus Florida this weekend, and then the following weekend goes straight into the Georgia game. That's pretty big, man. I I wonder if that could play into this as well because those analysts you're talking about. I would imagine there's at least a few of them that are already pre-scouting for Georgia. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe not all of them are on the Mizzou game this week Could the way be. that they otherwise would have been. Could be. 
And, you know, Drinkwitz has shown a lot of different looks or at least ways of moving the ball. So I, I don't know. I feel very, very good about covering, which is a very dumb thing to say out loud. But then again, my voice has no power over the universe. Otherwise, I'd be a millionaire and COVID would be gone. So um, I guess I shouldn't be too uh, weird about that sort of thing. But I do feel confident that they can cover. Florida's still a really good team. I don't think we've seen them uh, play their best ball yet. I'm not sure if that's this week or not. But um, I think I'm just very curious to see how Missouri responds. It's only their second road game. And I want to, I feel good, but I want to see what happens. Uh, I'm very interested to see the the plan of attack on this one. A successful game on Saturday is what for Mizzou? Uh, a successful game on Saturday is causing a few turnovers. Uh, maybe going in either within three or up four into the fourth quarter. Um with Bayslake tossing a few touchdowns, Poundtree getting his 100 yards, and um, I think at a minimum, if they can show that they can do that against the number 10 team in the country, regardless of circumstances, that's a good thing. And then, you know, if you want to go ahead and win it, I'm I'm good with that too. What do you think? I want to see Bayslake looks like he belongs on this stage. That's that's number one for me because he's the future. Um, as much as I love Larry Roundtree and uh, there's so many other pieces of this team that I, I really enjoy watching, and I've really enjoyed watching this year in particular. Basilek's the guy that you're really resting on moving forward. He, he's, he's going to lead you to where you want to go moving forward. So I want to see it again. I want to see him look the part against this Florida defense. I want to see him tear it apart the way that other teams have been able to. And I think he can. And then the other thing that I want to see is I want to see this defense come up with a few big plays against Florida's offense. I don't know what that is. Like, I'm not going to define that as a turnover. Maybe it is a big third down pass breakup where they're trying to go from Trask to Pitts on third and seven. And they're able to come up with a big pass breakup that leads to a field goal instead of what would have otherwise been a touchdown. Um, Those kinds of things. A few of those big plays. And then ultimately... If they can keep this thing within one score in the fourth quarter, all of that for me would be defined as a successful game on Saturday for them. I'm on board with that 100%. Man, I just, we've got a lot of good vibes going right now for the past three weeks. And I hope that uh, the team's feeling it and they're feeling confident and can roll in Florida and just and, and hang with them, put a scare in them, even outright win it. Uh, there's there's a lot of opportunities on the plate and we're not going to talk about it right now because it's dumb to think too far ahead but just as a reminder missouri does control their own destiny as far as the sec east is concerned um winning this game would go a long ways in the right direction for certain goals so um there's a lot of excitement about this one and it's the swamp it's tough but uh i'm looking forward to it we've seen missouri have success there before though two and two all time in the swamp, two and two. Huh. I was there for that weird, really <laughs> weird game. 2014? Where they had like, yeah, I was there for that one in the swamp. And they had, I think, like two return touchdowns, mm-hmm. a defensive touchdown. It was wild, man. That was one of the strangest games I've ever seen. Fumble recovery touchdown, interception for a touchdown, kickoff for a touchdown, punt for a touchdown. 100 yards yeah. total on offense. <laughs> It was unbelievable. They won that game forty-two to thirteen, yeah. and the offense was abysmal. That what the twenty fourteen season summed up in one game, right pretty there. much. That 
that I love that 2014 team. It was the most perfectly flawed team in the world, and I loved it. Yes. God. Yeah. 2013 was legitimately really good. Yeah. That was a awesome football team. Mm-hmm. 2014 was just they found ways to win. Mm-hmm. It was not pretty. It was ugly as hell, but they just found ways to win, and that was one of those types of games. Yeah. I wonder what uh, how this team is going to be remembered. You know, I mean, it's obviously going to be Drinkwitz's first year, so there's some some stuff to that. It's COVID year. It's a weird year, but like, I wonder how fondly or or how, let's not even use that. Just how we look back on this team. You know, depends on this week in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, honestly, I mean, if they beat Florida, everything's on the table. Mm-hmm. Everything. Yeah. Seriously, it, the the only game moving forward that I think is likely to be lost if they win on Saturday is Georgia. Yeah. And even that game, if you beat Florida on the road, I'm not, I will not pick them. I, I will not pick them to even – I don't know what the spread will be. I probably won't pick them to cover that spread. <laughs> right. But it won't be outlandish to say that they could play in that game, mm-hmm. you know? So th- this this week probably determines what this season's ultimately going to be remembered by in terms of the high end. The low end, the floor has already been raised from where it was going to be otherwise. I mean, that it's going to be probably remembered if they lose this week for that LSU win. Yeah. The LSU win and, and ending the streak against Kentucky, those two games. Huge, just huge. Um, I've seen a lot of talk about this. I know we're already, God, an hour – 10 minutes almost into this but real quick do you have opinions on the hats that the missouri football team wears and if you do what is that opinion i liked the ones on saturday yeah um i i like their normal ones i i like all of them man all of this is just about recruiting it is you know i i know people like to make more of it than probably needs to be made uh i i like the mizzou uniforms in general i i really do so uh i i wish i had a stronger take on this (laughs) i really don't no no i don't really either I have my preferences, but it's not important. I like the uniforms that they win in, <clears throat> flat out. So, um, whatever, whatever it takes, I'm about that. But it was nice to see a classic. I'm into look. winning as well. Classic look is yeah, nice. Yeah, I liked them. I did. I, I I really liked them, and I got no issue with them going back to them in the future. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, agree. As long as they don't wear those, uh, what was it mustard yellow that they wore against uh, 2008 Kansas? Like, I'd burn those. I'd be fine with them getting rid of their yellows in general. Yeah. yeah. The, if you're asking me about jerseys, that's very different. <laughs> I, I'm out on the, I'm out on the gold jerseys. Out. Completely out. Off. Awful. Wow. Get them out of here. Wow. What? Okay. Why? What's wrong with them? They're yellow. <laughs> They're awful, man. They're bad. <laughs> don't like them because they're bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. They're just really bad, awful-looking jerseys. I'm sorry, man. If they, especially the all golds, like oh, if they're wearing God, the gold yeah. jerseys with the black pants, it's not my favorite look, but I can deal with it. Yeah. When they go with the full gold uniforms with the gold helmet, Disgusting. sometimes that's about as bad of a look as you can get on a football. Disgusting. Field. And Mizzou has too many good uniform combinations to be wearing that on a Saturday. Yeah. If they would just get rid of the, it looks more like, like bumblebee stripes, but it, it's supposed to be tiger stripes on the sleeves. If they got rid of that. And they changed the the tent of the jersey to match that whatever metallic gold that they had on the helmets last week. If they can match that, I don't know if that's possible with threads, but if they could, I would be good with that. Tone down the yellow just a little bit, bring out the metallic gold, make it match. I am good with that. But yeah, all gold. Just wear black out. or white. Just wear black or white. <laughs> it's hard to mess up black and white. 
You know, or the I, I even like the anthracite. Those are fine. Oh, you do? They're okay. Yeah. Better than the better than the uh, better than the yellow. Yeah. One of my favorites though is the I like the tiger helmet, the one that they wore a couple of times. The big tiger head. With uh, yeah. Those are my favorite. The matted black I with like the tiger those. head. Yeah, that's my favorite. I'm a fan of those. The best uniform of all time though was the beast mode from 2009. The gray, the stealth bomber gray helmets with the white jersey and the gray pants. Like that is always going to be my personal favorite. I'm drawing a blank on these. Really? I know you're only 7 years old at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- those were good ones. Yeah. Those were good. Yeah. Yeah, those were good ones. In the um in the video game NCAA 14, I think is what mm-hmm. the last one was. If I ever took over Missouri, I just had them wear those uniforms all the time because they're so clean. I love it. Uh, Any other thoughts? Shirts, pants, hats, Florida? What do you got? Anything else? I don't think so, man. Uh, Big game. Mm -hmm. Big game on Saturday. I'm very much looking forward to it. I think Missouri has a real shot in this one. And I I hope everybody stays safe, and I hope that they're mm-hmm. able to make it play. Make sure that this one is actually played. That's that's kind of the biggest thing. Is I'm just I'm hoping for the best for them to be able to play this one because it it'd be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Agreed. Agreed. So yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can rate us because we love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you turning in this time. We'll do better the next time. And until then, am I Z? Do you?